telling me a story of knowing all these goodbyes we've got to go to. But goodbyes should be painful because you've loved us so well, and we're thankful for that. You've also empowered us to care for others. And so before we dive into our message, I want to share just a little bit of, yes, we were on holiday in in Thailand, but we spent the first four days, well, I did, uh, meeting with, I'm allowed to say this, missionaries from different parts of Asia, uh, often in restricted countries. And it was a blessing, a privilege, and heartbreaking to hear stories of what's going on. Uh, In the span of, I had about 25 meetings in the span of three days, which is great. Uh, It was good. Uh, But many have taken to heart the verse in scripture that says, um, leave your family and your mothers and your brothers behind. And they've gone. And they've gone and they've seen their family suffering and they're wondering what they do. Please pray for them, that they would persevere and know when it's the time to be in which place. We, thought, we saw others who were sharing with us that in certain parts of the world, the restrictions upon Christians are getting tighter and tighter. And often we say, you know what, that should make us afraid. Let's back up and run away. They're doing the exact opposite. They have dug in and they have said, until we are kicked out, we will make much of the name of Jesus Christ and we will persevere. And yes, we know there's risk, but where there is risk, there is great treasure. And so they have pressed on and we rejoice in that. I also met with some that are facing great health struggles. In fact, a dear friend that some of you have met, he's been at our church before, his name is Sam. They went home to be there for the birth, back to America to be there for the birth of their grandson, their first grandchild. And they arrived in Chicago from Beijing and Sam collapsed of a heart condition and spent the next four days in the hospital. And God, in his great mercy, allowed Sam to be discharged. They made it to Tennessee, which is down in the southern U.S., just in time for their, their grandson to be born in one section while Sam was in the emergency room of the same hospital in another. And yet, you know what Sam's comments all through this as I was texting him? I'm just so thankful I get to be here. What kind of perspective do we have in life as we face this new year of the dog? Uh, It is a new year upon us, uh, and uh, I I knew I had two sermons left with you, my AIC family, in this capacity. I hope you'll let me come back every once in a while and visit. I would like that very much, but that's up to you. There's no pressure. (laughs) Let you chew on that for a minute. But the two things that I've been thinking much about as I consider transition uh, and as I look at the Sermon on the Mount, next week we won't be in the Sermon on the Mount. We'll, uh, we'll be in Ephesians chapter 4, so you can read ahead and try to figure out where I'm going. Uh, but the idea of worry, of anxiety, of stress. Any of you feel any of those things? Worry, anxiety, stress? What I would like you to do as we get started is I'd like you to look at the back of your sermon notes. If you didn't get a copy of these, would you raise your hands for me? You're going to need these today. And our wonderful, amazing ushers would love to pass them out. And right across the top, you can see, in full transparency, I'm going to be honest with you, I'm going to share my three, okay? But right across the top of one side, you'll see three things that cause me the most anxiety and worry today. So I want you to take about one minute, because most of us, it shouldn't take long to think of. And write down, and if you don't have a pen, we can probably find some of those. I got one up there. Otherwise, just borrow from your neighbor. Write down 
three things that are heavy on your mind or your heart that might cause you stress or anxiety or worry. Just take just a moment to do that and then we'll, go, we'll get started. Or we'll continue, not get started. You don't have to write all the details. This is just for your knowledge. No one will be grading your papers. No one will be looking at what you've written unless you share with them. Uh, This is for you and God, and you'll see where this is going. I've tried not to make my sermon notes a mystery this week. Because this week we're going to look at anxiety, and next week we're going to look at family. Two things that we need to know more than ever now. So, three things. Just a few more seconds. Write quickly. Okay, you can keep writing, but again, in full transparency, I want to share with you and I want to be honest that I struggle with anxiety. Man, I'm worried about a lot of things right now. I am worried about living in America because it is not the same America that I moved away from 13 years ago. And I don't know what to expect. We're not normal missionaries. We've only gone home every two years for three weeks. So we haven't stayed a year and gotten used to what it's like. Which brings me to my second worry. What are my kids going to be like? They look white and normal on the outside. Not that white is normal. Please don't misunderstand what I said. But they look like a normal American on the outside. But on the inside, they've grown up over here. This is their home. What will that be like? Will people understand them? Our language is different. We use words like rubbish and boot, and they refer to different things. And we're confused. We were laughing about this in Thailand. I get worried about that. And I get worried about what will my role be? I'm moving from 8 million people to 7,000. And I don't know how to be slow. And yes, I've lived there before. But that was then, and I worry about these things. What is it going to be like? And I think deep down, we can all face things that we get worried about. As I've said throughout, you know, we're moving. Uh, We are moving uh, back to the church family that uh, sent me to China for the first time. But as we've gone through this moving process, uh, much of our stuff left before us so that hopefully it will arrive within one month of our arrival and we'll have beds to sleep on. But we have a dog and some of you have heard about my dog and how can you not share a story of a dog on this, the Chinese New Year of the dog? Our dog's name is Thor and Thor knows something is different. So the poor dog sits in our living room and he just paces because he's nervous all the time. He knows things are changing. And if you've had a pet, you know that pets are highly intuitive, more so than we give them credit for. And the poor mutt is just confused. And he's anxious. And he's stressed. And I think in the back of his dog mind, he's wondering, are they going to leave me again? They just left me for two weeks. Are they going to leave me again? And we're much the same way. Maybe we don't walk around and maybe we don't pace like this. Maybe you do. But we're an awful lot like my poor dog, Thor. We carry the weight of the world within us. And as the last part of the passage that Frida just read so beautifully, we borrow trouble from other days. And that's a dangerous thing. There is hope in this message and there's lots of it. But to get the most out of this message, there is also much reflection that must go on. So we're going to pause. 
we're going to pray, and we're going to dive in and just look at what Jesus teaches us powerfully. Lord, we know we're not supposed to live in a state of worry and anxiety, but I think it would be easy to say that sometimes we just don't know how not to. So today, over each person here, I pray your victory upon us, that we would live in your peace that passes all understanding, that we would live in your peace and in your provision because you are the creator of all things. And so, Lord, help us today. Amen. Okay, a little bit of fill in the blank to get started. Don't worry, B. Happy, good. Those of you that grew up in the early 90s know Bobby McFerrin. You should watch his TED Talk on a side note. It's amazing. Uh, let me bring some of our younger audience into the fray. Hakuna Matata means? No, almost. Means no worries for how long? For the rest of your days. I'm not going to sing because that would be bad. But see, we've got all these songs and the list goes on and on. I typed in worry into Spotify the other day and thousands of songs were available that tell me not to worry or don't worry about it or this or that. But yet we do. In the broad scheme of things, worry is something, anxiety is something that is on our minds constantly. Tim Keller defines anxiety this way. He says that anxiety is the will to control the uncontrollable. Let me say that again. Anxiety is the will to control the uncontrollable. Can you control what happens tomorrow? No. But yet we worry an awful lot about it. Now, please don't mistake where I'm going with this. This doesn't mean you don't plan and you don't make wise decisions. It is important to plan. Is it important to make wise decisions? Worry is borrowing trouble that we cannot control from another day. That's a different thing. Being a good steward with what God has given you is biblical. What, what do I mean by that? Being a good steward means caring for the resources, the abilities, the finances, the family, the relationships. We care for that which God has provided for us, and we do so out of love for Jesus and love for others. Worry says, I'm going to worry about what if they don't like me? What if they don't, what if this, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, and the list can go on and on and on. And I would bet that right now, if I just left it, it, what if there's about 170 in this room right at the moment, all of you could fill in the blanks with a bunch of what ifs. Today, I want to introduce you to a different way of living that's been right in front of us all the time, but sometime we need to take a hard look and say, okay, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap, neither gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father uh, feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? There's so much just in that one verse that Jesus teaches, but we need to go back and see what he said right before it. Because right before he was talking about money, (laughs) does money ever cause any stress? Does our stuff or what we want ever cause anxiety? If you have children or if you're taking care of parents, it goes both ways. 
Does their needs ever stress us out? Absolutely. Yet listen to what Jesus says just a few verses before. And this is the context of when he transitions into this subject on anxiety and worry. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Another way to put that is the affections of your heart indicate what you value most. What you think about, where you place your time, your energy, and your resources demonstrate to the world this is most valuable to you. And Jesus is saying, you can't serve both God and stuff and money and all those things. He's saying there's a different, better way. And as we've talked about throughout the Sermon on the Mount, it's called living in sync, living in step with the kingdom. I'm not saying you on your own have to take care of it and fix it and worry will never be a thing because you are so good. In fact, I'm saying the more you say you're not going to worry about it, the more you will fail on your own. But in sync with kingdom, Jesus-centered living, there's a whole new way to live. Because instead of our need to control everything, you ever feel that you need to control things that are going on? Because if you don't, no one else will. You might see that in your workplace, or maybe you live under that where your boss micromanages everything and it drives you nuts. Some of you can relate to that. And in any case, we long to live peacefully. We long to live in a state of rest. And it makes us jealous when we see those other people that just seem to have no worries. And we wish, why can't I have what they have? Well, By the end of today, you can, and it'll be a choice, and it'll be a discipline, and it won't necessarily be easy, but I can guarantee the scriptures are very clear that there is a way you can live in the peace of God that transcends, that passes through, that magnifies all understanding. And we're going to show you just by a few verses of what Jesus says. First, victory, or your notes say peace begins with understanding. In other words, you need to understand a couple of basic principles. The first one is best taught from VeggieTales. Any of you familiar with VeggieTales? Yeah, if you have a child of any young age or you are an adult, watch them. It's good theology in those things. We love them. But one of the things you learn early on is junior asparagus gets very afraid. And we feel bad for junior asparagus And it's not until the great Bob and Larry uh, share with him that God is bigger than the boogeyman that we see there's a better way to live. God is bigger than your control. Fear is always driven by our inability to control what's going on around us and our fear of we don't know what's, if you're a little kid, what's under my bed or what's in that closet or what's in the dark. If we're an adult, what's coming next? What if this doesn't go the way we thought? Again, back to those what ifs. And what God is saying right here through the person of Jesus Christ, his son, and part of the Trinitarian way of living, he says, if God clothes the birds and the flowers, you don't think he can take care of you? The first thing we learn is God is bigger. He is, the theology word you use here, sovereign. 
Sovereign means God reigns. And before we can go any further in dealing with worry, that's the first thing. Does God reign in your life? If you shake your head, yes, great. But if we looked back to what Jesus says a few verses before, for where your treasure is there, your, or for where your, yeah, where your treasure is there, your heart will also be. Would your heart match you shaking your head that God is in control? Because often our attitudes, our demeanor, and our way of life do not reflect that we trust God to be in control over all things. And I've seen this in a number of ways. I've seen, but God couldn't possibly understand, or someone will come and they'll want to talk with me, but Mike, you don't understand this and this and this, and it's not this and this and this. And I'll say, you're right. I don't understand. But I know God can work everything out to point people back to himself. That verse in Romans can confuse us sometimes, and we use it wrong an awful lot, for God works all things for the good of those who love him. Well, that is absolutely true, but it's not based on our standard of good. It's based on his standard of righteousness and his plan. And the first thing we have to understand that God is sovereign. He is bigger than what's going on in your life right now. He is bigger than my dear friend, Sam, who wonders, why can't they fix my heart? Why is it now spreading to my brain, but they don't know what that is? And you know what Sam told me? I'm full of joy. How can he do that? How can his wife check in on other people when she's worried about her husband? Because she knows God has them right where he wants them. And she rejoices. Can we? Can we rejoice in God being in control? Or is God only in control right up until it gets a little stressful? Then it's us. Okay, God, I'm going to follow you. But when you say go this way, not going to do that. That one I'm going to pull back and I'm going to say, I'll do it my way and then invite you to follow me. I've seen this time and again. And it doesn't matter where we live in the world. This isn't a cultural thing. This is a human thing. When we're stuck, we cry out to God. When we have nowhere else to go, we cry out to God. And then we forget about him when things go well. You wonder what I mean? Join with me in reading through the Bible and read through passages like Genesis. What God or what man meant for evil, God meant for good is Joseph looks down at his brothers and responds in love. Man, if I saw his brothers, I would have beaten the crap out of them. They sold me into slavery. They left me for dead, and now I get my revenge. And he looks down with love. Because what man meant for evil, God meant for good. Is God really sovereign of your life? If you can't answer yes to that, then enjoy worry because you won't get past it. That honest. If you can't say beyond a shadow of a doubt God's in control, nothing as I say today matters. It doesn't. God's either in control or he's not. He's not partially in control. He is God. Which leads us to the second point. Not only is God in control, but he lets us know that we are valuable. He lets us know that we are more valuable than all of his creation. Scriptures scream this out time and again from the very beginning in Genesis. 
we, man and woman, that's humans, made in the image of God, made in his likeness. In Ephesians, we learn that we are his masterpiece, his workmanship. He took great joy in creating you. And often we can feel like in our self-image issues, well, I'm not this, or I wish I was this. You know, I'm moving back to America, and I'm going to wish I was taller. True story. But God made me on purpose. Even in Psalm 139, he made me fearfully and wonderfully. Do we believe that about ourselves? Those of us that know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior know that not only did he make us fearfully and wonderfully, and by the way, fearfully, you've heard me say this before, doesn't mean he was afraid when he made you. He's afraid of nothing. It does mean that with great care and great attention and great detail, he put those hairs on Ron's head, even though some are gone. He did that. And as we move ahead into following Jesus Christ, not only that, we learn he is calling us saints. Whenever a Christian tells me I'm no saint, it makes me mad. Because in Christ Jesus, we are exactly that. We are saints. We are loved by God. God is in control and God loves you. Do we understand those two principles? If God is in control, he can handle your grief. My heart goes out to Marin and Charmaine and and the family as they mourn the loss uh, of a loved one and to Eric and Twinkie uh, as they mourn the loss. Losing a loved one is hard. But the love of God can walk with us through that. That doesn't make it easy. I'm not saying difficult things get easier. I'm saying there's hope. Others face sickness. I've shared about my friend Sam or others that are facing cancer. One of the people that I used to provide member care to on the mission field, she's now fighting for her life with cancer that is going all the way up her spine. And yet she's still checking in on everybody else. She has hope because she knows God is in control and she is loved by God. Do we? Do we know that God is in control and that he loves you? And that even through this horribly difficult thing you're facing right now, he can use that? I know it stinks. I know it can be uncomfortable at times. But can we be confident that he can work in bigger ways? Because if we are, if we're confident that God is in control, but Mike, I don't understand. You know why? Because you're not God. He tells us you're not going to understand everything. Some things are too marvelous for us to understand. If you're reading with me through the Bible, you're into one of the most depressing books of all, Job. You ever slogged through the book of Job? Man, there are some bitter, angry, depressed people going on. And they blame, they blame, they blame. And at the end, what does Job discover? Holy cow, God is big. And he was showing the world a powerful message. Job can actually rejoice. Asaph does the same thing in Psalm 73. The list goes on. God is in control and he loves you. Start there. And you will begin to understand how to deal with anxiety. But we don't stop there, thankfully. We go on and we look at the idea of victory or peace. 
peace is the word I prefer. I started with victory and forgot to change my notes on the screen, so sorry about that. But peace then asks the hard questions. So let's do it. Let's just take 10 seconds. Can you think of a time when worrying has ever added any value to your life? Now, somebody's going to say, but Mike, I was really concerned about all these details. No, that's different. That's being a good planner when you're making sure that everything is packed for your kids before you go on a trip. That is not worry. Can you think of a time when worry has been of any benefit to you whatsoever? No, because there isn't one. Worry is not a useful tool. It poses no benefit to humans in any shape or form. Every psychological thing I've read about worry, um, even I've got this great book, it's called The Pocket Guide to Interpersonal Neurobiology. And by the way, when they wrote a pocket guide, it's like that thick. But in there, there is a section on worry and anxiety, and we keep all these things in our heads. All these, they, his diagram makes them look like fur balls, and they're all these masses of things going on. And yet, when they don't connect, we get nowhere. And worry is one of those that doesn't connect, and it leads us nowhere except deeper into a hole. There are those that face chemical depression, and that's something different. But many of us fall into spheres of depression that come from living in worry. And Jesus says you don't have to. Those of you that fight the sickness of depression, uh, that you do that, we trust God's healing upon you, and we will walk with you every step of the way and get you the help you need. Those that fight the, the mental depression that comes from the circumstances of this world in the same breath, we will walk with you, and we invite all of you to know God can heal. What do you gain from worry? Nothing. If you know that God is in control, and if you understand that he loves you, you know that nothing is gained by worrying about things that are in his control. You can't do anything about it. We know that he has your best interests at heart. And if so, then something great must be happening even in the midst of this pain and this suffering and this sorrow. Do we have to understand? No, we aren't called to understand. We're called to be prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. We're not called to give a reason for why the suffering exists. The suffering exists because there is sin and darkness in this world. And Jesus came into the middle of that sin and darkness and said, I'm your hope. I'm your light. And I will get you through this. What do I gain from worry? Nothing. Simba the wise philosopher that he became from the Lion King learned it well. It means no worries for the rest of our days. It doesn't help one bit. The second question you got to ask yourself, what can I gain from worry and where am I placing my confidence? You know, we like to be rewarded when we've done something well or when we've succeeded. 
uh, and I've gone to a number of places where successful children have been in the home and you see the trophy case or all their certificates on the wall or you walk into a doctor's office and, you know, I want to see that my doctor is actually certified, but I don't need to see every, war, every award of everything. But yet we're very proud of our accomplishments. We're proud of what we can do. We're proud of all these things. Yet why in the midst of great technological breakthroughs like never before is there so much stress and so much anxiety and so much worry in the world? Because we've placed our anxiety or our confidence in our achievements. And as Solomon tells us, there's nothing new under the sun. So if you go all the way back to the beginning of Genesis, you read of the people that decided to build a tower in Babel, which is where the word babbling comes from, by the way. And they thought, we're going to show that we need no God. We are in control. Our confidence is in ourselves and in our technological marvels and our ability to understand everything. To which case, God allowed them to understand nothing. And the world changed. It is very, very easy for us to place our confidence in the things of this world. What are things of this world, Mike? The things that pass away. The word of God never passes away. A relationship with God is eternal. So much so that Jesus says we can never be snatched out of his hand. The car you drive, the public transport you ride can pass away. We've seen that tragically so last week in Taipo. We are not promised anything on this earth. But in Christ Jesus, we are promised eternity. Why do we place so much confidence in the things of this world? on what we drive, what we wear, and what we eat. Please, don't misunderstand. Go eat amazing, wonderful Chinese New Year food and save some turnip cake for me because we don't have good turnip cake in America and it's one of my favorites. But that fades away. At the end of the day, the turnip cake is gone. Mike ate it all. It's gone. But a relationship with Jesus Christ lasts forever. And Francis Chan says it so well when he says, I want to build a life for the next trillion years, not just for the next 30, 40, or however long we think we might have left. Your confidence dictates how you are investing your resources. If your confidence is in the things of this world, the anxiety will grow. If your confidence is in the Lord himself, you will find new rest, new order, and new confidence that you never knew was possible because you are realizing that God is so much greater than your fear. And you'd think, Mike, that's a great place to stop. Let's go home and eat. But there's even a little bit more. And I want to go on to read even what the psalmist knows. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. How can I let the consolations of God cheer my soul? Well, there are steps we can take to do that. And Paul writes it in Philippians this way. He says, and I know, 
But Mike, this is hard. So we're going to break it down and we're going to try to simplify it as we go. Do not be anxious. Can we stop? And can we all read this together? Because I think we all need this reminder. I know I, I don't do that all the time, but let's do this together. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests made known to God. And we'll get to the next part. You're like, but Mike, there's more. I know. But that's just for you to wait for a minute. So what do we do? How do we get to this victory? How do we get to this peace? How do I leave my worries behind and sing Hakuna Matata? Well, you have to understand that victory, that peace is inevitable. It's uncontrollably yours when a few things happen. Do you know what inevitable means? It's going to happen no matter what. If A happens, then B will happen. And the A, B, and C here are simply put. Jesus says so clearly, seek me first. And all these things you're worried about, money, food, clothing, treasure, they're all found in me. Seek me first. Start with me. But we get so worked up. But this, this detail isn't sorted. This God go, <laughs> Jesus says, no. Look at Mary and Martha. You remember that? Jesus shows up at Mary and Martha's house. And you're not going to like this one because it hits a little too close to home. Jesus shows up and Martha freaks out. Why? Well, apparently the house wasn't tidy enough. And men, maybe we can't relate to that. Maybe that's not us. Maybe you can. I don't know. But for some, you can. And she's freaking out. And what does Mary do? She sits down and hangs out with Jesus. And what does Jesus say? That is far more valuable. She sought me first. She went and engaged in a relationship with a living Savior. And she enjoyed his presence. Seeking Jesus first means living in him. He's already in you. He is already with you. He is everywhere. And in so doing, when we walk in step with him, when we're living in sync with the kingdom, all these different ways to say the same thing, when he is our first focus, everything else comes into view. And that relationship with him is to be enjoyed above all else. Peace is inevitable when our focus is on Christ. Can you say that he matters more than anything else in your life? Can you say that he matters more than your family, more than this relationship, more than this financial security, more than this illness, more than this job? Does Jesus matter most? I didn't say that the f- finding the way to cure worry was easy. I just said it was right. And it starts there. In your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord, not of half of you, but of all of you. And in so doing, you will discover a peace that you have never found before because he is in control and he leads you in your resting in the arms of the maker, the very creator and author and holder of this world. Second, we're told to take everything to God with prayer and big words, supplication. In other words, pleading. Please, God, help us. You know what? 
I love about the Psalms of many things. They're honest. But you find in the Psalms so much, and even in Job, Job is so valuable, even though I pick on it, it's hard to read. There's so much value to it because there's so much there of people sharing what they think and being drawn back to the person of God that says he is bigger than their fears, their judgments, and their worry. And you read the Psalms, and when things are going badly, they admit things are going badly, but we come to church and act like we got to be perfect before we get here. And, oh, look at us, we're so great. And all the way in on the minibus and the MTR, you were about ready to punch your kid because they wouldn't do whatever. Or your wife made you late, or this happened, or that, you know, and you're already worried about this and what's coming next. And there's so many things on your mind, but God's too busy. God couldn't possibly handle it all. And yet, what does he say? Cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. Here, Paul invites us, bring everything to him. How's that eye hospital going to get built? Because Henri and Joyce are so amazing. They are, but no. Because God is in control. How is whatever, fill in the blank, going to happen? Because we walk by faith and we trust that God will work and that his timing is perfect. And so we take everything to him. Do you do that? Do you really take everything to him? God, this stinks. God, this is hard. God, this is great. Do both, by the way. Because that brings us to the next one. Do we get there? Are we comfortable enough to know that God loves us and cares for us so much that we take everything to him? Or do we tell him, God, you don't understand? Because that's our default. That's our normal position. And then the third one. Order your life around lament. Nope. Do not do that. That's what we think. We think we've got to walk around and it's the national anthem of Hong Kong. There are two national anthems in Hong Kong. Did you know this? The first is the jackhammer. You know, that's why I love Chinese New Year because there's no jackhammering. Oh, it's so, listen, you don't hear it. And the second is when someone asks you or when you ask someone how they're doing, what's the number one answer? I'm busy. That's our national anthem. We are busy. Yay, look at us. We are so busy. Well, let's reframe that. Busyness can actually be a very good thing. Many busy people get a lot done. But what I want to invite you to is into a life without the noise, into a life without the pace, and into a life of thanksgiving that says, I am so thankful to be on this earth at just such a time as this to be able to shine the little bit of light of Christ that lives in me. I am so thankful that God has put me in this position, whatever it might be, because I know he is at work and I am confident in him. You want to be, be victorious over fear, anxiety, and worry? Place your confidence in Jesus Christ. That is the answer, always and forever. It is Jesus. And that's the big finish. I don't think we're thankful enough. I sure don't think we're praying enough because I see on Wednesday nights how many show up. And not that you can't pray on your own, but let's be real. This church is going through a season of transition. We can either run away in fear or we can bear down in prayer, in trust, and in thanksgiving that whatever God has next is greater than our understanding. 
Because peace is inevitable when our focus is on Jesus. All that other stuff, that's his to handle. We don't need to borrow trouble from another day because God has you right where he wants you. But Mike, I've made so many mistakes. Me too. I look back and wish so many things would be different. I look back and think, oh my goodness, and all these insecurities spring up. And then I'm reminded of God can even use that to bring people back to himself. And he can draw me to himself. And so then I get to rejoice and look, God used a punk like me. And you could fill in with many adjectives. But what could he do through you if you would but seek him first? Really, really pray and leave it all before him and then thank him that he's in control. I promise you, your life will be vastly different. And so I want you to flip your sermon notes over. We filled in all the blanks. Congratulations. Because some of you worry about that. I've gone to many workshops where if we don't fill in the blanks, there's those that run right up at the end. And can we have the rest of the answers? I'm not that guy. I'll write my own answers later. But see, I want you to read Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8 to yourself as I read it out loud. And it says this. I don't have it on the screen. Blessed is the man. This is woman too. I'm not being sexist here. Blessed is the woman and man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when the heat comes. For its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Here's what I want to invite you into. A life in the peace of God that transcends all understanding bears fruit. Not only are you no longer bogged down in worry and fear and stress and anxiety, but others see that you're free and they want it and they seek him. And you see changes in others all around you. It's called discipleship. It's called bearing fruit. So what we're going to do now is I'm going to give you four minutes and 15 seconds. Why? Because that's how long the song I'm about to play is. And I want you to take your time and I want you to cast your anxiety on him. And I want to invite you to start with the following words. I am not in control. But only write those if you mean it. Don't if you're not ready. Because then you're just lying to yourself. God already knows our hearts. (laughs) But if you wonder what to write, just say, Lord, help me. I'm just going to throw it all before you. I know I only gave you a few lines. But I want you to take just a moment and cast your anxiety on him, knowing that he cares for you. If you need some inspiration, read the words to the song that will be on the screen. I want to finish with a story of victory that everything I've said actually can happen and you can live a different life. Uh, I met with a missionary uh, during our time in Thailand. Uh, He's been on the field for over 15 years. He's become a friend, but I still uh, provide counseling for him just to check in and that's my role. And he's telling me a story of something that happened 15 years ago. They were living 
in a city in the walk between where um, his apartment was and where the classrooms were that he was teaching in were quite a ways away. And there was this one section that at night was very, very dark. And my friend uh, struggles with anxiety. He said that openly to me. He said, this has been a hard thing for me for many years. And he said, but this one day, there was two ways that he could get home. One would take an extra 10 minutes because he'd have to walk around the dimly lit section. And then for the most part, in any city, you typically don't walk through the unlit sections. But it caused him great anxiety whenever he would even look at it. But this one day, he felt this prompting in his heart saying, go this way. And it made him very uncomfortable and it made him very nervous. But he said, and he quoted to me, cast all your cares on him. He cares for you. And so he walked that way only to see a man fall out of a window from five or 10 stories up and land in the snow on the ground just in front of him. And because he was there, he was able to get in touch with the emergency department or whatever it was called in that region and get that man help. That man survived. 15 years later, that was the end of the story as far as my friend knew. There was no more to the story. He already was thankful that he listened to God and trusted him with his fear. 15 years later, an old professor comes up to him and says, do you remember me? And I know you all want that to be the guy. It wasn't, sorry. And my friend says, no. He said, but I remember you. You were the one that saved one of my favorite students. And when my friend was telling me this, tears at this point coming down both our faces, 15 years and he didn't know what had happened. But God was bigger than his fear. And God used that situation to do mighty things and continues on. What about you? Are you willing to take such a view of God that you would walk into your fear and anxiety and say, Lord, it's all yours. Cast all your cares on him, for he cares for you. Ron, would you come up and lead us in a closing song? As they come up and get sorted, let's stand and pray together. Lord, I'm very aware that our time together is short and it's fleeting here on earth. So we look forward to eternity. And with the things of this world that so easily pass away, we give to you. They are yours. And today we proudly, boldly declare we will seek you first. We are not in control. God, you are our stronghold, our peace, and our victory. Amen. Lord, the light of your love is shining in the midst of your darkness shining. Jesus, light of your love.